You ready for God's word? You know, as I look out, sometimes I get the sense that, that some folks just barely got here. And I, and I just want you to know, that's okay. You're here. You're here. And God, God wants to minister in your life. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Who doesn't want to have a better life? Anyone can give up. But it takes courage to keep trying. And maybe you're here today and you keep wondering, why do I keep trying? Why do I? Because, because it's worth living with hope. The minute you give up on hope, you give up on living. And God is the giver of hope. And, and I just want to encourage you, third service. I just feel in my heart, I didn't start the other services that way. But you're my favorite service, and I'm looking over you, and I'm sensing that some folks are wondering, like, what's the big deal about this God thing? I hope that you leave today knowing that God is a big deal, and that and there's a lot of hurt in this world. You go, man, pastor, you're just, you're just speaking what everybody knows. No, I mean, look, there's a lot of hurt. There's people ending their lives. There's marriages being broken. There's people desperate enough turning to crime, doing this, doing that. I mean, this world is a, is a, is a harsh world. But I want to remind you, there's a better way. But the question is, do you want that better way? Because this is the thing with the Lord. He won't force himself on you. And the minute you start moving towards him, the enemy's going to fight you with everything he has. Everything he has. So last night, I always do my, my extended prayer time on, on Saturday night. And uh, Edgar, every time I pray, man, I can't help but feel in this season just this amazing force against me. You know, just, just uh, negativity, you know, trying to infiltrate my thoughts where I can't concentrate on my prayer time. You know, if I'm, if I'm praying about something positive, I hear these thoughts, you know, combating the positive with something negative or something random to discourage or to distract or, or, or just to create, create havoc and chaos when it's supposed to be a time of peace. And so I start pressing in even more. And then so finally I start asking God. And, 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 and I want to ask you, when was the last time you really prayed hard? I mean, really prayed hard. And I started asking God, I said, Lord, why is it that it's so hard to connect with you? This is supposed to be the good time, God. Right before Sunday, I'm supposed to be breaking through. Heavens are supposed to be opening. And all I said, and, he, and then I feel like, like, like he said, why? I said, because, because it's easy. <laughs> and he says, so worshiping me is supposed to be easy. I said, no, it's not supposed to be easy, but, but man, this is just, he says, in the hard times, you become better. And I'm going to allow the enemy to do just enough so that you have to press. And when you press and lean in, then I know you're serious. If it was easy, everyone would do it. The enemy provides an opportunity for you to exercise your faith. Hear that with me. The opposition, the hardship, the struggle, the trial, it sets the ground for faith. It sets the backdrop for faith to shine. When you highlight, when a jeweler highlights a, a diamond, he doesn't do it on a white background. He does it on a black background. So the struggle provides the background for you to shine. He says, and I'm with you. I'll give you what you need if you keep pressing. And so this morning I get up and I show up and the very first person to greet me is Chuck. And I had some highs and some hellos, but he comes up personally to greet me. And he, and he grabs me like, come on here, honey. Come on, get up here. Jump up here quick, quick, quick. You can jump right up. I know you can. So that's not even a struggle for you, man. And so he grabs me like this. And I'm feeling a little uncomfortable because I'm Mexican and you don't do that. And so he grabs me real tight and he's like, Pastor, I just want you to know. And I'm like, okay, Chuck. And he goes, I just want you to know. God put this on my heart. 
We love you. And we appreciate you. And we are blessed by what you do. And he just, he just shy, and, and, and I hear God in, in the same voice he was talking to me last night. He says, I got what you need when you need it. Because I am exactly what you need when you need it. Trust me. Thank you, son. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Can I tell you, he's big enough to give you what you need when you need it. But it might be a struggle for you to get there. But know this, he's working it out for your benefit. He's working it out for your glory. If you're anything like me, you hate the struggle because I'm, I like things easy. I think it's human nature to want things easy, but nothing good happens out of something easy. It takes pressure to make that same diamond. It takes an amazing amount of pressure. And so God is fashioning us into a diamond. You might say, Pastor, uh, why are you telling us all this? Because I want you to press into the Lord. And third service, I really sense that for you. I'm not just speaking here. I think some folks, I'm just being honest, are wondering why things aren't happening in their lives. And, and I didn't say this to the other services. So some of the folks that I'm talking about are in here. You want things to happen in your life and you're wondering why they're not. But when was the last time you really pressed? When was the last time God became such a big deal that you didn't care what anybody else thought? When was the last time that your heart was broken? I'm talking broken for the things of God and you just cried out to him and you didn't care who was around and you pressed in and you cried over him and you were willing to look foolish for the sake of God. And, and so I just, I just want to encourage you because, because God is there. He's there, but he won't force himself on you. He won't. You've got to pursue him and desire because he wants you to, to go on a journey with him. He wants you to know that the journey is about pressing in to get closer and closer to heaven, to get closer and closer to him. And the journey goes through the cross. You go, oh man, amen. No, before you say amen, understand what the cross means. The cross means death. It means you got to be willing to die to yourself so that he might live. And that journey is about dying to yourself more and more and more that he might live more and more and more. John the Baptist put it this way, all my life I've learned what it is to decrease that he may increase. And so when I first started out, there was more of me than God, but slowly he's put me to death and he's taught me to let go of myself, to lay down my life, to give away my life that he might fill me. And that's what we're talking about here today, letting God be everything to us. You want to have a great year? Let God be a great God in your life. And, and this, is, this is a very, very simple message, and it's very different from every other message. That means the, past, the, the first and second service. I didn't talk about any of this, but, but, but I'm, I'm sharing this because I truly feel a burden from the Holy Spirit. See, when I pray on Saturday night and I spend that hour and a half just crying out for the Lord for revelation, I say, God, I don't want something that's of me. Let me be used by your spirit. Put your words on my mouth. Let me be used for your glory that your people might be blessed, God. And so you're not here by accident. You're here by divine appointments. God has you on a journey, and today he's intersecting with your journey, and he's saying, I'm here. I want you to recognize me. I want you to understand that there could be a change so radical that your life will never be the same if you allow me to walk with you or if you walk with me. And that's what God wants to do today. He wants to radically change your journey. We said that Christ talked in terms of I must, I need, but we placed it in context. He must and he need, the reason he used those words, those words are strong words. When someone says, I have to, I have to do this. If I don't do anything else today, I have to do this. I must, I need. What are they saying? This is important. 
Why was it important? Because in three years, he had to change the course of human history. Now, I want to ask you something. It takes more than three years to change a football team if you're a new head coach. It takes more than three years to change a company. And if you're talking about a Fortune 100 company, it might take seven years. That's just one company. Try to change the world. Try to change human history. Not just the world in one time, but for all time. Christ did that in three years of ministry. And he knew he was going to be crucified in his time. So when he says, I must and I need, it gives you a different perspective. Because he didn't have time to waste. So watch this. He says, I must go to Samaria. I need to go talk to this woman. Now, how many of you would be saying, there's no way in the world I'm going to waste my time speaking to a woman that's already wrecked her life? Not because she's a woman, even if she was a man and he already wrecked his life. Why do I need, what do you mean wrecked his life? She had been married five times. She was sleeping with a guy that wasn't his, her husband. Her life was in a mess. Why are you going to go talk to her? She's not going to help you change human history. You need to talk to leaders that are leaders of leaders, right? You need to pack out coliseums. We got to get this thing rolling. No, no. You have to do exactly what God calls you to do because if you're going to change the world, you need God to do it. No. Some of us aren't getting this. See, if you're going to change the world, you go, but pastor, I'm not trying to change the world. Okay, if you're going to change your life, you need God to help you. If you're going to change your journey, you need God to help you. If you want to have the best year ever, you need God to help you. And you need to start talking in terms of, Lord, what must you need? What must you need me to do? You go, that's not good English. That's the way, exactly the way Jesus said it. I must needs go through Samaria. What must you need me to do, Lord? And so I said, when you go on your journey, always include God and say, Lord, lead me. So I said, encourage someone, find a divine appointment, say, Lord, you're, 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 you've saved me for a reason. So as I go throughout this campus, who can I speak an encouragement to? Who can I reach out to throughout the, throughout the week? As I go along, I'm on a, I want eyes to see and I want ears to hear, and I want your spirit to lead me so that I may connect in those spiritual appointments, those divine appointments. And so I'm going about my way, and I run into Tom. Tom is at Starbucks, and he buys me coffee. And he, he was in second service, and he was sitting right over there, and I said, Tom, man, thank you, because, man, that sparked something in me. It reminded me that we're on this earth to encourage one another, and that I'm looking for divine appointments, and that was a divine appointment. He reminded me of a conversation we had three, two or three years ago in which I encouraged him, and now he's encouraging me. And now that sparks something, because I start looking through my mind, and I'm going, Lord, who am I supposed to reach out to? So I reached out to Rodney King, whose wife is fighting... Uh, uh, cancer and leukemia. And he is just on cloud nine. He says, pastor, God is good. Everything is working well. We come into the hospital and the doctors say, we've never met a patient who doesn't look and act and talk like they have cancer. They just positive and sharing God's blessing with others. And she comes in with a shirt that says Jesus. And she, she prays and she just, and man, I said, Rodney, how are you doing? She goes, he says, I don't have a choice. I'm up. I'm high. I'm believing everything. God's going to heal her. And, and I'm just like, Rodney, I called to encourage you and you're encouraging me. Then I get off the phone to Rodney and I call my, uh, another disciple who is uh, Bill Yaney. Bill, Bill usually comes to third service. He might be in the cry room. He was in second I didn't give him a shout out, but he heard me use his name. So he was in the, in the cry room. And, 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 and listen, he just had a new baby and things are changing in his life. So I called to encourage him because everyone here is supposed to have at least three relationships. Someone pouring into you, someone that you are friends with, that's a peer, and someone that you're pouring into. Bill is one of the guys I'm pouring into. And so I call to encourage him, and he does some spiritual Aikido on me and spiritual jujitsu. He turns it around, and then he's sitting there. I, he's encouraging me, and I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're stealing my blessing. I called, to, I called to bless you. And then God says, that's exactly how I meant this thing to work. When you step out, then someone steps forward towards you, and you end up encouraging each other. Iron sharpens iron, the Bible says 
as one man sharpens another, as one person sharpens another, and they're both blessed. Can I tell you? So I started practicing this more and more and more. Some of you are saying, is this what the message is all about? The message is very simple. Who is God to you, and are you sharing it? Because if you want God to be alive to you, you got to share it. The more you share it, the more you get. The more you give, the more you get. And so I'm going out and uh, Raquel says, Dad, can we all go together? Because Christian and I are about to get married and we need a couple of pieces of furniture that we need to kind of start planning for. And so we go out to North Austin to a place called Living Spaces. Anyone hear of Living Spaces? Anyone? Uh, well, it's a huge, huge furniture place. And when ladies walk in there, they're like, oh. Guys walk in there and they're grabbing their wallet, you know. They grab both cheeks because they're about to lose their butts. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, what is going on? There's way too much opportunity to spend money here. And uh, you know it's bad when they have like a little burger place in the place. And they give you coffee so you can stay awake and keep shopping. And so um, we, before we go there, we stop by another place. And I meet a gentleman, he's about 6'3". He's, uh, he's black, and this means something, because when he starts to talk, I thought he was African-American, but he wasn't. When he starts to talk, and he's dressed impeccable. I mean, suit, tie, cufflinks, the whole nine yards. And he starts to talk with an accent, and I can tell he's probably African. So I said, Bob, man, I love your accent. Where are you from? He says, where do you think I'm from? I said, I think you're from Africa. He says, you're right. In the south of Africa, there's a country. And he tells me his country. And I said, man, that's incredible. I love Africa. And he says, oh, really? Have you ever been? I said, no, but I watch a lot of National Geographic. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I would never say that. I said, no, I've never been. But I hear God is doing amazing things in Africa. See? Blessing. I'm being a blessing. I say, yeah, I hear God is doing amazing things in Africa. He is. Revival is sweeping across Africa right now. And so he says, oh, he is. Would you like to go? I would love to go be a part of the spread of the gospel. I would love to. Come on. How many of you would love? This is what you got to pray. If you want to press in, you got to say things like, God, whenever you move, don't leave me behind. You got to be like that kid that wants to go with dad. Dad, don't leave me. Dad, let me go with you. And so I say that, and he says, oh, you want to go to Africa to share the gospel? Then you're in good luck, because I'm a pastor. When do you want to go? He says, can you be ready in four weeks? I said, whoa, now it's put up or shut up. He says, we can have you there in four weeks. You need more than two weeks, because if you only go two weeks, you will be crying when you're coming back. God is moving. He starts blessing me, pumping me up. And then I start blessing him. And before long, we're giving testimony of what God has done in each other's lives. And we're blessing each other. Can I tell you, God has divine appointments, but you got to be willing to lean in. You got to be willing to risk. You got to be willing not to care about what the world thinks and start understanding that this is your birthright. You are a Christian. You are different from the world. And you don't have to cower down to the world. You can stand. So we go to the next store, and I start talking to a little Hispanic guy, and he says, oh, I can't help you. So right before, he, he, he missed his blessing. I was about to come around and just hit him with a big blessing, man, just like, bam. And instead, he pawns me off to this other guy. And he says, we call him Thor. I've already called him. He had this little walkie-talkie, and he's calling him. And so this, this young, good-looking, blonde kid's walking up, and he's at 6'3". He's walking up, and he has long hair, but he has it up in a bun, man bun. And so he says, yeah, when he has his hair down, he looks just like Thor. And we call him Thor, except he's too skinny to be Thor. <laughs> and so by this time, Marshall gets there, and then he goes, yeah, they call me Marshall Thor. And, and uh, um, they're la we're kind of laughing. And I said, man, he's laughing because he says, yeah, you're too skinny to be Thor. But he's as tall as Thor is. And then I said, uh, you know what, Marshall? Thin is in, baby. And he goes, yeah, thin is in. And, uh, and then we start talking. And as we're talking, I ask him, I said, uh, where are you from? Are you from California? And he says, uh, 
He says, no, I'm not from California, but I spent some time in California. I said, I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I, I, said, uh, I said, cool. I said, the living spaces bring you down because they're, uh, they're a California company. He said, no, as a matter of fact, uh, I work at Living Spaces, but I have this heart to have my own business. And he starts, I start asking about his business. He starts, he starts lighting up, telling me about his business. I said, man, that's awesome. That's wonderful. So I'm just encouraging him. I'm proud of you. I'm excited for you. Even if it's hard, hang in there. And it's worth the dream, you know. And then I sneeze and I went, achoo. And he says, God bless you. And I just took it in. I took it in. Took it in, amen? So then we go across the store, and as we're walking across the store, he's going to show me another piece, and, and I say this to him. I said, hey, Marsha, I can't help but notice you said God bless you. Are you a Christian? He says, matter of fact, uh, yeah, I've, I've experienced faith now. And, and I said, well, listen, if you're a Christian, I'd like to pray with you in agreement and I pray a blessing for your business, because I believe that God wants to bless you not just not just spiritually, but he wants to bless you in what matters to you. And he puts dreams in our hearts and he puts, he puts ambitions and goals in our hearts and he wants to see them unfold. And I believe there is a blessing when Christian brothers come together and they agree on something, it supernaturally begins to move. Move things in the spiritual that will unfold in the physical. And he's just like, and he goes, absolutely. That's what I've been learning and studying. And this is confirmation because I've been asking God to just show me more. And now I'm, I'm a, oh man, I'm like a duck on a June bug now. I'm like, okay. And, and then I said, uh, I said, Marshall, um, um, the Bible says in Matthew 6, if you seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then he says, and his righteousness all other things shall be added to you as well. God just had me memorize that this week. And now here you are confirming it. Now I'm getting goosebumps and I'm going, wow. And he says, as a matter of fact, I've been listening to this pastor and I wanted, you to, I wanted to know what you thought. He's an awesome pastor and he just really speaks to me. And he's a young guy. He's 20 something. I'm thinking it has to be Stephen Furtick. Right? Stephen Furtick's who every young guy listens to. And, and then he says, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's Pastor Robert Morris. I would consider him like a mentor of mine. Pastor Robert Morrison, Gateway, I just took my whole church and my family, I mean, our whole church leadership and my family to his conference this past October. Yes, he's a great pastor. Keep listening. Find you a church here locally. Get plugged in. Get discipled. Can I encourage you with the same thing? Why did I go through that whole thing to tell you that story? Because that story is meant for you too. God's interested in more than just your spiritual. He's interested in where you are today. He wants to help you with your hopes and your dreams, and he wants to give you hopes and dreams. He loves you, and he wants to encourage each other. He wants you to lean into him, and he wants to pray with you and, 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 and join you in that prayer. What, what do you mean? No, he says, when two or three gather in my name, I will be there, and I will bless their prayer. Bless their prayer. When was the last time you, you pressed in to pray? You said, man, pastor, I'm, I'm pumped. What, 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 do you, what do you mean? Okay, watch this. Jesus had these divine appointments too. We've been talking about the woman at the well, and the woman at the well finishes her conversation with Jesus this way. I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called, what? The Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Now listen to Jesus' response. I am the Messiah. More specifically, this is what the translators translated it to be. He actually uses in the Greek, I am who I am. He may have even said it in Hebrew. Jesus was a, he was, was, was a Hebrew. He knew Hebrew. Now he spoke Aramaic as well, but he probably said, I am who I am. Yahweh, a Yahweh. What does that mean? It's the Old Testament name for God. I don't know if you understand this, but the, the, the Jews and the Samaritans would not even utter the name that Jesus just said. Why wouldn't they utter it? They considered it blasphemous. Do you remember when, 
When Jesus says to the religious leaders, before Abraham was, I am, he uses this name, I am who I am. Where does this name come from? It comes from Exodus chapter three, verse 14. We'll put that up there in a second. Or go ahead, put it up there now. But when Jesus says, I am who I am, the religious leaders tear their clothes and they say, blasphemy. They want to crucify him for claiming to be God. Nobody even utters that name, let alone claims it for themselves. Why is this name so, so important? It's the name that when Moses asked God, when he's talking through the burning bush to Moses, Moses says, I know that you are Elohim. You are Almighty God. But who shall I say sent me? Give me your full name. And God says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I am everything you can possibly need. <laughs> Guys, if that doesn't get you fired up, your wood's wet. Think about this. I am everything you can possibly need. See, no. I, we take this for granted. See, to a Jewish man, to a Samaritan woman hearing this, and, and more specifically, when God first revealed himself to Moses this way, I need you to hear this very closely. They were in a very different context than we are today. They were under, under slavery to the Egyptians, and they had been for hundreds of years. All they'd ever seen was what the Egyptians showed them. And then they had their faith stories from Abraham. Okay? Now, the Egyptian context was a pantheon of false gods. And these gods were each responsible for different things. And they, they built shrines to them. They built monuments to them. They built temples. And they built uh, tombs. You say, okay, well, what else do I need to know? Well, these gods each had their thing that they were over. Like, for instance, the goddess Isis had dominion over fertility, women, children, and medicine. That's what she was responsible for. And so she had specific characteristics, and she held sway over a few elements and no more. And yet here comes a God that says, no, 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 I'm not over a few things. I'm not responsible for some things. I am everything, everything. Let's settle that. And so up until that point, they used to refer to him as Elohim. You'll see the slide up here. No, no, go back, the other slide. Elohim or Eloya. This is the first name that is found to be used referring to God in the Bible. Now, it's found 2,300 times. It has a general foundational meaning of strength and power. Why do I say general? Because when you have the word El, that's that, that's that prefix for this word, Elohim. Now, El can be, refer, can, can be used to refer to a false deity at times. It can, be, it can also be used, now, not in the Bible, but in secular writing it was, it can also be used to refer to angels, which some theologians believe that some of the references could be referencing angels, because it just means strength and power. But when you attribute it to God, you make the distinction that it's not just random strength and power, it's the almighty power, okay? But he's sharing this with other things. And so every time they would they would refer to God, they would also highlight a characteristic of God. And these are just some of the examples. So there's literally hundreds of these examples. So watch, Eloiha Kadem, God of the beginning. Watch this, Eloiha Misfat, God of justice. Eloiha Selakot, God of forgiveness. And on and on and on it goes. So imagine you have to sit there and say, what do you need? Eloiha, and then add the what you need. So God comes along and says, I'm going to personalize this, and I'm going to give you a name that encompasses all of that. And it's a name no other God will ever share with me. 
And this is it. I am who I am. And no one is like me. No one is like me. It became such a big deal to Israel, they would not even utter it. And here Jesus is saying, so you say, why are you making such a big deal about this? Because today God wants you to know he is Yahweh. The God you need when you need him in exactly the way you need him and you can trust him. Listen, let that sink in your heart. He is the God you need in your finances. He is the God you need in your dreams. He is the God you need in your relationship. He is the God you need to defeat sin. He is the God you need when you battle the enemy and the wicked one. He is the God you need when you need food and provision for your children. He is the God you need when you need wisdom and direction. What do you need? Let I am who I am He will do what he will do. He will be who you will be. And he is. Now, you go, okay, well, well, okay, so he changed this woman's life. Yeah, she was looking for what she needed in relationship, dead relationship, broken relationship after broken relationship. And Jesus Christ comes and says, I am who I am. I am the God who fills what you've been needing. And he changes her life. You want to see another one where Jesus has another of these, these uh, supernatural encounters, these encounters with destiny? Jesus, in Luke chapter 19, introduces a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. It was a city. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was very rich. Now, this is important because tax collectors were hated by the Jewish people. Why? Because the Jewish people were under Roman rule. But the Romans wouldn't collect taxes themselves. They would would hire someone from among the Jewish people to collect taxes for the Romans. So if you became a, a tax collector from among your people, you would be taxing your own people. But this is how it worked. You could add a surcharge to whatever they said they needed. So the Roman government says we need X amount, you would ask for more. And you would keep everything in access to make yourself very, very rich. And so that's why the the Jewish people hated them because they viewed them as traitors. Now, why is this man put himself in this position? He puts himself in this position like many of us do. We think that materialism will fill that hole. He thinks, if I can just have a big enough house, if I can just have a fancy enough car, if I could just have enough money in the bank. But this is the thing with the God of mammon, the God of this world. He always leaves you more broke, busted, and disgusted than the day he finds you. So he might be rich, but he's completely rotten inside. He's hollow. And he's so desperate, listen to me, he climbs a tree. When was the last time you saw the richest man in town climbing a tree like a squirrel because of his desperation to meet his Savior? Some of us are looking for love and looking for significance in all the wrong places, but we haven't gotten desperate enough to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. And so he climbs that tree, and you know the story. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Now watch. You can tell who's singing. The people that are singing grew up in Sunday school. If you didn't, this was a little song that we learned as we were children. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up on the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Lord came walking by, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. That's all Jesus said. And what does it do? 
No, I'm telling you, when you encounter the Lord, the King of glory, the great I am, and he look him square in the eye, he changes something supernaturally on the inside. You say, Pastor, I've never encountered that. You've never pressed in long enough. You've never climbed a tree. You've never desired long enough and hard enough. That means you've got to want Jesus. You've got to really want him. He wanted him enough. Now watch this. Make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus stood and told the Lord, look, I will give to all my goods, half of everything I have to the poor. If I've taken anything illegally, I'll restore it four times. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house. Can I tell you, this is a message for all of us. In Revelations chapter 3, verse, verse 20, the Bible says what? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. I will sit down at the table and I will eat with him and forever change his life and give him eternal life. You want eternal life? It's in Jesus Christ. But you got to get up and open the door. Now, this is the thing. The one that does not change. You can put the, the slide up there. You should have it now. I changed them. The one that does not change is the one that brings change. The one that never changes is the one that can change you. Now watch this. We are all missing something, Billy Graham says. And you're going to try to fill that something with whatever this world has to offer you. You'll try to fill it with relationships. You'll try to fill it with drugs, with alcohol, with success, with materialism, with popularity, or even pleasure. See, we're all incomplete, missing, lacking, and having that incompleteness, and we need fulfillment. Who is fulfillment? Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it in the fullest manner possible. True fulfillment. He changes us. So turn to your neighbor and say, change equals transformation. Now look back, neighbor, and say, duh. No, really. Change equals transformation? Well, yeah. Okay. So how do we get this change transformation that we're talking about? Well, you just said Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is called revelation. Revelation. Look, the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. Meaning, if God had never shown us his love, we would be oblivious. We would have no concept of him. The only reason we know and have a concept of God is because God came close and revealed himself. He revealed himself in love. God is love. We love him because he first loved us. Now watch this. His greatest expression of love is Jesus Christ, and that's his revelation of Jesus. When he sent him to this earth, he walked among us. We wrote down his story, and the prophets had declared his greatness, and he hung on a cross, and he says, I love you this much. And that revelation, when you respond in faith, you get transformation. You say, Pastor, but I've gotten very little revelation. You've got all you need in God's word question is, are you going to respond in faith? And when you respond in faith, and that was faith when Zacchaeus climbed that tree. You want me to show you my favorite story of pressing into God in faith? It's of another woman, and it's found in the book of Luke, chapter 7. Verse 36, then one of the Pharisees, this is a religious leader, asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house, he sat down, and before, and and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Now, why is the gospel writer highlighting that this woman is a sinner? The reason why, he doesn't, the gospel writers don't just ever tell, say that about everyone. Oh, they're a sinner. They're a sinner. They're a sinner. It's all understood. We're all sinners. But the reason they're highlighting her sin is because it plays a factor in the story. Why? Because she has a reputation. Theologians and histories and commentators, uh, history and commentators would say that she was more than likely a prostitute. And so he's highlighting this because this is how people thought of her. Okay? And so she was a sinner. And when she knew that Jesus sat at the Pharisee's table, 
She brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now we know from the other gospel accounts, when John references this oil, he also says that this is very expensive oil. It's worth about a year's worth of wages. That means it would cost you your entire year's paycheck to pay for this oil. Some say she probably used it when she was doing the wrong thing. And now she comes with the most expensive thing she owns to honor her king. And so she comes to him, and and the Bible says, read with me in 38, she stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash them, wash his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. And And then she kissed his feet, anointed them with this fragrant oil, and when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, so let's explain some of this. Jesus is at this Pharisee's house. The woman is uninvited. She barges in and he is, she's behind him, his feet, and she's washing his feet. So is she washing him like this? No, in the Old Testament, I mean, in the ancient times, they didn't eat at tables like we do. They ate at smaller tables, much like this, and you would recline at the table, maybe on a short cushion that sat on the floor, and you would recline like this. The guys on that side or the people on that side would recline facing you. You'd recline facing this way. You could turn and talk, and you would eat. So she comes up to Jesus, finds his feet behind him. Does that make sense? But it still doesn't answer, what is she doing there? This is bizarre. She wasn't invited. See, in the ancient world, especially in the Hebrew world, when you invited a dignitary, someone of nobility, someone of stature, someone of notoriety, you would open up your home so that anyone who wanted to from the, from the community could press in and, and be a part of the conversation, even if it was just listening. So they weren't invited to discuss. They weren't invited to participate in the meal, but they were invited to just observe. So many times when Jesus was in someone's home, it would be so packed. Why? Because everyone wanted to experience Jesus. Do you remember the time where the four guys had their paralyzed friend and they couldn't get him to Jesus because the house was so full? What did they do? They went on the rooftop and lowered him down. So imagine this scenario, your house, you have the king of glory and there's no room because everyone from the neighborhood is there. That's scary, right? (laughs) But, But they're there. And the woman comes up. Imagine what you must feel if you're the woman. You know how this town feels about you and how this community thinks of you. And so as you're walking up, can you imagine the snickers and the stares and the points and the speaking amongst each other? Can you imagine how you feel? Can I tell you? If you want to experience the great I am, you can't worry about what other people think. You'll climb a tree, you'll press into a house. It doesn't matter what they're saying about you. Can I tell you, the world is always gonna talk about you. If they talked about Jesus and tore him down, they're gonna talk about you and tear you down. She pressed in, she pushed every hindrance aside. I don't care what you have to say. I don't care what you think of me. I don't care what you're snickering about me. You didn't save me, he saved me. You don't know my darkest of times. You don't know when I was there and thought of God reached down from his throne to sinking sea and he plucked me out of that that sea where I was drowning and he set my feet upon a rock. He washed me off. He put a robe on my shoulders, sandals on my feet, a ring on my finger. He calls me a son and a daughter and I owe him everything. So she comes in and this is what the, the New Testament says. She begins to pour out her tears uncontrollably. Have you ever cried from so deep within that you cannot stop? You want a great year? Connect with Jesus at that level. You go, Pastor, that's how I accepted him. That's how you got to live for him. So, so. She pours out. She has nothing to dry them with, so she starts drying them with her hair. And this is what the Bible says. Listen. That's how she's kissing him. Some of you are snickering, making it, it feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? Can you imagine right here? And you're eating and she just carrying on a spectacle. Oh, she don't care. 
That's her savior. Somebody of you, somebody here has to just have to get that deep in their heart. I, I don't care. I just don't care anymore. Can I say it? Somebody too, somebody here cares too much. And you're wondering why your life is stuck in neutral. And you're wondering why you're you're rolling down the hill instead of going up the hill. Some of you are looking at me like, man, 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 I got time for this. No, I guess you don't. But as for me and my house, Jesus is everything. 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 So this is where I finish. He spoke to himself saying, if this man were really a prophet, he would know that a sinful woman is kissing his feet. And Jesus turns to him and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now watch his response. Pay very close attention here. He said, teacher, say it. Does that smack of pride to you? Of disgust? Not, yes, my Lord. Not Messiah. Not Elohim. Not Emmanuel, God with us. No, say it. You'll see. You'll see. So Jesus says, suppose there is a certain creditor and he has two people that owe him money. One owes him 50, the other owes him 500. Neither can repay, so he forgives them both. Which one will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one he forgave more. Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. Can I tell you, we're supposed to judge in this world but we're not supposed to judge self-righteously. Now, I know that's not a popular concept today because many people are constantly throwing that out there. Don't judge me. You're not supposed to judge. Thou shalt not judge. Can I tell you to be human is to judge. I judge every day between right and wrong, between what is good and wise and what is foolish and bad. When I was a kid, I had to judge whether to go out drinking or stay in and study. I had to judge whether to honor my parents or dishonor them. We have to judge whether to stay in and and sleep or to come to church and listen to God's word. We have to judge how to use our finances and how not to use it and how to raise our children. Life is a judgment. What we're not supposed to do is judge with this arrogant self-righteousness like we're better than everybody else. It's okay to say, hey, that's wrong. And I, and I, I don't approve of that, but I'm not going to tell you that I'm perfect. I know I'm not perfect. We're both, we're both fallen, but we can do better than that. Amen? And so here, he's judging her self-righteously. He doesn't know her heart. He's judging her based on what she used to be, not who she is. Does that make sense? And so God is saying to him, you have judged rightly in my scenario. And now I'm going to tell you how this plays out. You see this woman? She understands how much I've truly forgiven her. You don't. And because she understands, she loves me with all her heart. And you don't. And the reason you don't is because you missed understand my story. My story is this, neither can repay the man and he forgives them both, which means if you owe me 50 or 500, if you can't pay $5, you're still gonna end up in prison right next to the other guys. If you can't pay for your own sin and you end up in hell right next to the guy you judged as worse than you. You need a savior just like she does, Simon. The only difference is she knows it and you don't. Oh. So Jesus says to him, says to To her, listen to this, verse 48, your sins are forgiven. 
your sins are forgiven. Who is this guy? I'll tell you who he is. I am who I am, God is. I am who I am. You want to know who God is? He's exactly what you need. You need a savior. He's a savior. You need help. He's your help. You need emotional stability and freedom. He's that. He's what you need. But when was the last time you wanted him to be everything you need? You needed him to be everything you need. So there's a song that has really, really impacted me and challenged me. And my children introduced it, and they wanted to get my okay because, well, I'm the father. And that's the way it's supposed to be. The father watches over his children in his household. And as I listened to this, I couldn't help but think of this woman. And he's a popular figure, and we discussed if we should play it because he can be very much controversial, and some of you might feel uncomfortable, but can I ask you to think about this, this story? Don't be Simon just yet. Listen to the message, because God can save anyone. And it's all about the great I am. You need money for the gas, God is. God is. God is. God is. God is the joy. God is the joy and the strength of my life. He moves all pain, misery, and strife. He promised to keep me, never to leave me.
might say, Pastor, what was that? That was Kanye West telling you who God is to him. He says, Jesus, Jesus, save my soul. And now I'm sane. I'm sane. That's his testimony. He found himself at the lowest point, and Jesus is the power that raised him up. He's the one that fills this cup. You might be tempted to say, but pastor, 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 I don't know if we should jump on the bandwagon so quickly. I'm not saying he's going to be my pastor. I'm not saying he's going to be discipling me, but what I am saying is if he claims my Lord and is bold enough to talk about it and claim it, then he's my brother. He's my brother, and I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray for him. Now, I'll watch the influence anyone has in my home. And only Jesus has the supreme authority to speak over me. But I'm going to support my brothers. You know why I love this? Because it shows what God is doing. Who is God to you? And do you have the courage to talk about it? To dance about it, to shout about it, to praise about it, to sing about it. Who is God to you? You say, well, I don't know why he's getting so excited. Well, maybe it's because those that have been forgiven much understand. (laughs) Understand. So you might be here and you might be thinking, Pastor, that's not too controversial. That's extremely uplifting. Well, to some, it may be controversial. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stretch you on both sides of the spectrum. Kanye may not be that controversial to you. Maybe he is. Maybe this other figure won't be, but maybe he will be to others. God's not just working in Kanye West. He's working all over the world. And that includes our president. Mm, see how not, not too many amens on that one. That includes our president, who is openly praying, who is openly claiming the things of God. You say, oh, pastor, but I don't trust. He is arguably the most pro-Christian president in our lifetime, arguably, in in my lifetime. You might be older and you might be able to argue the point. He is arguably the most pro-life president in our lifetime. He doesn't miss a Christian rally. He doesn't miss a time to step out and support Christian values. What is not arguable is that he is the first, this is a matter of record now, president to show up at the March for Life. Many have talked about it. He did it. Now, you might be here today go, oh, I was with you with Kanye, but you start talking about President Trump. I'm not so with you. Can I tell you, God is moving in this world, and you never know what he's up to. So instead of judging other people, why don't you say, Lord, move in my heart? Bring about the change that only you can bring. Can I tell you, God did a work in my life, and I'm glad he didn't ask somebody else, or you might have said no. God does what he's going to do because he is the great I am. God moves the way he's going to move, how he's going to move, with who he's going to move, in the way, and no one can tell him anything because he is sovereign. He is the mighty God. He is the great I am, and he is worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up and our prayer partners to come forward. And I just want you to stay, stay standing. This is where we finish. The greatest obstacle to having God move in your life is to get distracted looking at other people. And there's two ways that we get distracted. We start thinking, what are they going to think of me? Or we start judging them. And I'm talking about judging them self-righteously before you have taken care of yourself with God. Let God work it out with our brothers and sisters. He's big enough to do it. 
But he wants to work some things out in you right here, right now. Right here, right now. Maybe you've been focused on all the wrong things and today God is saying, who am I to you? Who am I to you? And are you willing to tell it? Are you willing to sing about it? Maybe you're here today and you need salvation. You know for a fact you need salvation. I'm going to ask you to have the courage to come up here and pray with somebody about it. Say, Pastor, why don't you pray with me? Because we're a disciple-making church and each one of these people can pray with you a prayer of salvation. You got to have the courage to come up here. Maybe you need prayer over something else in your life. Can I tell you? God is. God is the answer. Won't you come and pray?